Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Coming up on this episode, we talk about the Newcastle United takeover. I'm joined by football editor Mark Douglas as we look back on the last week of Newcastle United, including the ironic statement from Ashley about dark forces, Amanda Stavely's small, albeit positive message about the deal, as well as Newcastle's great victory over Leicester City, those bizarre comments from Steve Bruce on TalkSport, and a little look ahead to Man City on Friday. Plenty more discussed as well on everything is Black and White Podcast. And Mark, it's been a while since you've been on, but there is plenty to talk about. The past week has been full of um, drama, shall we say, for want of a better phrase, even by Newcastle United's own standards. And we're going to start with that statement from Mike Ashley, which now seems a lifetime ago. Um, it was only last week. And this was all about... Um, like Ashley saying, dark forces have held back the club from becoming a powerhouse. And then he announced also that the club had launched an anti-competition mm-hmm. uh, lawsuit against the Premier League to do with the takeover. I mean, first off, Mark, what was your initial reaction when you saw this statement drop? Well, we've we've seen a lot of things happen in the last year. Um, a lot of noise created, a lot of... Um, a lot of things, basically, I think, you know, it's been it's been rare, but from from Mike Ashley, but we it's the one uh, issue I think in which his messaging has been really consistent, and actually um, quite open and quite, um, you know, there has been some accountability there from him about what he wants from the takeover. Because do you remember at the start of when um, PIF withdrew and they um, and, and they sort of you know takeover collapsed, there was a bit of debate I think in that first few weeks about you know is Mike Ashley ready to to sort of write this off as a bad job. You know, does he does he think this is typical Amanda Staveley and you know, like he said before, she was a time waster. But I think we've seen in the last year that he is um 100 committed to this this takeover. I think you know, look, it's not all altruism. I think there is an element of it that he does want Newcastle to be under new um uh, new owners who can take the club forward. But there's also you know, there's a hell of a lot of commercial um benefits to it for for him as well. So what I think what I found really interesting about the last week was the. You know the fact that the HMRC thing, which is which is not anything to do with the takeover. You know, I know there is obviously a free rider reported last week. There is you know, there's a link to it, and quite some people who've who've looked at the club have made that a bit of a sticking point, and it has been a something where people have tried to get money knocked off the club in the past for that. But it's not actually anything to do with the Premier League. It's not anything to do with the takeover. But he did get that dig in about dark forces, um, and he's clearly of the opinion that the um, the Premier League have blocked this um, because the forces who've worked on the ESL are the ones who control the Premier League. Now, that is, for me, absolute dynamite. You know, that is an owner who, um, you know, who sat at the table, who's been involved in the Premier League for, um, you know, over 10 years, effectively accusing that organisation of taking a decision that he did, um, of taking a decision that he did because they have a malignant wish for Newcastle United not to be taken forward. Now, you know, I think some of that's genuine. I think some of it is playing to the PIF. Because I think all parties here um, need to keep PIF, need to keep the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund very much engaged because they know this goes nowhere. If the PIF walk away or they're not convinced anymore that, it, that there's there's an enthusiasm for the deal, it won't happen. Um, and so far, I think a lot of what's happened in the last year has been about keeping the Public Investment Fund at the table, because I know, you know, I know from speaking to people around takeovers that there are a lot of clubs, um, not in England, by the way, that have approached the PIF, have gone to the PIF and said, look, you want a football club, 
we are, you know, we are in a better position than Newcastle United, or we can do this, we can do that. But so far, they haven't done that. You know, there was a lot of talk about Inter Milan. There's been some talk about Marseille. Neither of those clubs anywhere close to being taken over by the BIF, whereas Newcastle United last summer were very, very close. So I think there's part of that with Mike Ashley. Um, but it's um, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's, for me, is further, um, it should keep this in the, in the public eye. And I know people are fed up with it. I, I see that from Twitter replies. I know that people get are annoyed about the fact that it's all that we're talking about. But when things like that happen, it shows you why that is, why it is such an important issue for Newcastle United, because the owner um, is beyond any reasonable doubt, wants this to happen. He's now spending his own money on it happening uh, on legal teams to try and make it happen. And, you know, last week, I think, was 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 proof um, of where he stands, which is firmly behind this bid. Nobody else, other interested parties cannot get their foot through the door. So this is the only one he's interested in. Uh, we've got a question here from Craig Ellenson on Facebook. He says, do you think, Mark, that the Premier League have been working with the top six to stop the takeover? What's your view on the, you know, the, the theory that those clubs have influenced the, the, the decision-makers at the top of the Premier League? Well, you know, Newcastle fans were, were told it was a conspiracy theory when they, um, when they first started talking about it um, a year ago. But you have to look at what's happened in the last year and say that while it may not be a direct influence that from Tottenham, Manchester United, Manchester City, those uh, those clubs, to actually um, force Newcastle United to, to to not be taken over. I don't think they were. I don't think they made the decision. But it's very clear that Richard Masters and the Premier League have been working with the top six to try and prevent what happened about five or six weeks ago. For sorry, a month ago, um, to try and prevent that from happening. Now, as part of that, it's very clear that. The one thing that all parties wouldn't have wanted is to annoy being sports because they're a big partner of the Premier League. So my question is not necessarily that they've worked with the big six. I don't think there's been a kind of meeting and a, and a cartel. You know, obviously, we, we will see. I think we'll find out. Uh, and, you know, you, you can't write anything off. But I think it's unlikely, in my opinion, that there is a clear link between the directors of those clubs and the Premier League's decision. But I think it's been very clear through the whole process that it's not wanted by several clubs. And I think not necessarily strictly because Newcastle would be a would be competition for them. Although, you know, do you think they're all welcoming the idea of a club like Newcastle United suddenly becoming a competitor? Of course they're not, you know, and, and I think they'd only be human in that. And so it's it's inevitable that a controversial bid like the one that Newcastle had, there is going to be pressure applied, you know, from those clubs about issues that they that, that, that those clubs feel would harm the Premier League. So while it's not as simple as saying Daniel Levy leaned on Richard Masters to get the takeover to not happening, I, I don't think that is true at all. But I think it's very clear that there was a lot of lobbying going on a year ago. And that is where arbitration and that is where this competition appeals tribunal is going to make their decision. And that is where I think that is why this is, you know, Mike Ashley has done what he's done, because I think he he feels they've got such a strong case because he thinks it was a stitch up and he's clearly feeling. And, you know, I look at what what you did, the fantastic work you did the other week, Andrew. And, you know, we found out things there that were a little bit uncomfortable for the Premier League. Now, the question is, if you go into a, you know, if you've got legal teams 
start combing through all the correspondence and all the things that were done, are you going to find something else there? And that is where we are now. Unfortunately, this is going to take months and months and months and months. And, you know, arbitration obviously is, you know, has already taken, you know, we're, we're in May now. We know that arbitration um, was launched last year, um, kind of autumn last year. These things take a, a long time. And the problem is for, for, for us, it's whether the legal teams, and they're going to both be very, very strong legal teams, whether whether either side is going to be able to find something that's going to settle it in Newcastle's favour. I still feel like, you know, they've got a, it's a big task for the legal team for Newcastle United to find something that, that, that stops the legal people at the Premier League um, from winning their case. Because, you know, I, I mean, I'm not saying that there's, there's, you know, there might not have been pressure applied, but it's whether, you know, what Bean did with the letter that they sent out to Premier League clubs is that, something that would you know is that something that, that that's effectively stopped them from taking the decision or is it that just lobbying as there was lobbying by the consortium to politicians as there was lobbying by the consortium to um the local you know local council here and fan groups and things like that and that's why we're talking about it. that's why we want the that's why we want it to happen because we knew enough about it to say this is going to be fantastic for newcastle united as a football club um so that is where you, re I think that's where you really get into it. But for me personally, but I, you know, I don't know the ins and outs of the case. People have obviously uh, were involved with the case say there's some evidence that there was leaning on it from the top six. I, you know, I I would think that the Premier League would would argue very strongly that that didn't happen. I mean, they've already said on record that, that didn't happen. Um, so it's going to come down to um, to very expensive, very experienced, and. Um, you know, I would think making an awful lot of money out of this, uh, those two legal teams on either side. But the Premier League, you know, have very strong, very, very, you know, big lawyers as well. And so, you know, it's going to be um, it's going to be fascinating. And, I, and I'm, I'm gutted that the Premier League, that the Premier League or the arbitration case that Newcastle brought to have it heard in public did not succeed because I think it should have been. It's a public, it's a matter of incredible uh, interest, I think. Um, it should have been heard publicly. Some sceptics would say, well, if Newcastle have got such a strong case with the arbitration, then why do they need this second case? What, what's your view on that? Because, I mean, this anti-competition uh, lawsuit is, is, is a different kind of way to get at the Premier League there. You know, my gosh, is going after damages and what have you. Um, what would be your response to, to those people who say, well, surely the, arbit the, the arbitration then doesn't look as strong as maybe we thought it did? If you're then having to bring a second lawsuit in a totally kind of different area, well, interestingly, I've spoken to a legal expert who, uh, for a piece that will go up in the next couple of days, um, who gave me a you know a really quite interesting, quite compelling reason for probably he thinks that why they've done the two um, two cases parallel. I mean, there's I think for me it looks like they're trying to put pressure on the Premier League because I think all along the people involved in this have hoped that there would be a um, resolution that could be reached without it actually going to court. I think they thought if they could put enough pressure on the Premier League, the Premier League would feel mm, it might be just worth us finding a resolution somewhere in the middle. It doesn't look like that's necessarily going to happen. They think, I think, that their case is so strong um, that they need um, that they 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 need specialist competition law experts who would be in the Competition Appeals Tribunal to actually rule over this because they don't think the arbitration panel is going to have people of sufficient um, sufficient kind of legal expertise because the um, CAT, 
re will require um i mean it's going to that is going to take months by the way that is not something that's going to be resolved i think definitely not before the start of next season it could maybe even not you know maybe even not this year or if it is it's going to be the back end of next year because the amount of work that needs to go into decide deciding whether um there have been damages to st james's park holdings which is mike ashley's holding company um is huge because they're going to need um economists to look at the different markets uh, where newcastle may have lost money um which which will you know that'll be a huge job they'll, they'll have to model the they'll have to model of what would have happened if newcastle had have managed to um get to uh get be taken over and then go through a season and all the revenues that they possibly would have made so that's a huge huge job the third thing which i think is you know the interesting one for me is that they maybe don't feel that the um, arbitration panel can be um uh neutral enough they maybe feel that the, the, the arbitration panel is um you know it's it's going to be influenced by the premier league and that may be mike actually getting his next stage of the um process in early you know if he because he because he'll know i think and i think everybody around it knows and we know from you know pieces that we've done where nick devarco's talking in general they uh, talk sorry in general about arbitration but they know that is not a sure thing. Nobody in this process thinks arbitration is a button-shut case. Um, they may be confident they've got a strong case. They don't know that it's definitely going to happen. So it may be that Mike Ashley is getting in the next stage um, early and he may be looking at it and saying, you know, I'm prepared to go right to the ends of where I can take this to get to make sure this thing happens, um, which is both good and bad because I suppose in the, from, from a positive perspective, we know that this is, I know from speaking to people at the IF, this is a transformative cons uh, plan by the consortium. It's huge what they would what they would do to Newcastle United and the people involved are very clear about that as well. But from a negative side, if the arbitration doesn't pass and they go to the CAT, which again, they're hoping that the CAT can injunct the Premier League to overturn the decision they made or no non-decision that they made about the um, takeover that could take months you could get to the end of the year or you could get to kind of september october you've still got newcastle united under mike ashley's ownership potentially with a similar season to the one we have this year where kind of model along trying to stay in the premier league so that this takeover can stay alive now we've been in purgatory for a year now do we have stomach for another year of it um mike ashley might argue that look for the greater good I'm confident this is going to end up working at some point. Um, stick with me. That'll be that'll be the argument I think that you get from Mike Ashley. But you know, the problem with all of this is that while on one hand it's very clear that Mike Ashley still wants this deal to happen, um, and all the things that we were told they were going to do are happening, we don't know what's whether this is going to result in the takeover happening. But um, you can see from everything that's happened over the last three months, and I think it has ramped up in the last three months, that um there's an awful lot at stake here. Um, nobody is going away anytime soon with this. Um, Stavey wants this to happen. Ashley wants it to happen. Um, the Rubens want it to happen. All the people involved around in this deal want it to happen. Um, and they're hoping that if they're applying pressure, there may be a resolution somewhere down the line. And um, I think personally, I hope, I hope that's all. Uh, I mean, there's some irony though, isn't there? Mike Ashley talking about dark forces when he's had the club for you know, on 12 years and suffered two relegations and it it, mm. it has tended to be a battle against relegate or a battle for survival other than obviously that brilliant fifth place finish with Alan Pardew. 
And there is some irony in that statement because, you know, he could have been the man to invest properly in Newcastle United, invest in it as a football club, not run it like a business, and take Newcastle United, you know, up to, to where we all think they belong. Yeah, the big frustration for me with Mike Ashley is not actually necessarily how he's run the football club in terms of uh, making itself making it sustainable. You know, I think, you know, I, I read something, you know, it was Graeme Souness, I think, wrote something in the Sunday Times about three weeks ago about the ESL saying that Mike Ashley, you know, saying that fans can't have it both ways. And he, he put Mike Ashley and what Mike Ashley's done in Newcastle as an example of, well, this man made has made the football club sustainable. He's made it. Um, you know, that was his aim to make the football club sustainable and the fans still don't like it, which I think was a, a total misunderstanding of, of why Newcastle fans are upset. Now, I think you would still have 10 to 20 percent of the Newcastle fan base upset if Mike Ashley was making it sustainable. But his communication and the way that he went about it was better. You'd still have 10 to 20 percent people saying he's holding us back. We need to try and sell to somebody bigger. But I think. The trick that they've missed from the very start with Mike Ashley is not what Mike Ashley's done. It's the way that they've sold it. It's the bad decisions that they've taken in the interim. Having somebody like Lee Charney there who doesn't explain, who's, you know, who when he does explain, does it in a way, I think he doesn't use the language that he should do to sell what they're trying to do as a football club. They don't get the right people in place. They don't... Um, you know, they impose a transfer policy on managers that doesn't that doesn't work. You know, if they if they'd have had um, if they'd have had some people in there who knew football and knew the Newcastle United fan base, let's say they went around and toured the uh, pubs and clubs in Newcastle, the supporters clubs, and you had guys um, like I don't know, I mean Bob Bunker, and put Bob Bunker, give him the freedom to actually go to the clubs, explain what was happening at Newcastle. But then you know you add on to that but other people like you, you kind of you get you, you talk to people and 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 you you make it clear that the, the right people are in place and yes there's going to be financial constraints as opposed to Manchester City but you're going to do it in the right way and your model is going to be we are going to do we're going to strain at the leash to do everything we can as a football club to do to you know we're going to squeeze everything we can out of this football club and you communicated that in the right way rather than the way that they've done it which is Jobs for the boys at times. Joe getting jobs. Dennis Wise getting because Newcastle United fans are not stupid. They know that Mike Ashley, um, for all that he says, you know, for all that the clubs say, they're ambitious and they want to do things. They can see what's actually happened, which is a, a hollowed out structure. There's no, um, you know, there's not enough executives in there. Um, there's not enough football experience in the boardroom. The good decisions that Newcastle take aren't communicated well enough. They are totally isolated from the city they're totally isolated now i mean they don't you know they don't communicate they don't give interviews anymore they don't um they're not interested in in kind of engaging their you know they, they see it as that everybody wants them to fail now and that's that's the problem with what mike ashley's done it's not that his model for the football club is necessarily wrong although we can argue over things like commercial revenue and you know there was a great um graph that went around the other week about from swiss ramble looking at the way that Ashley's been put in the least in terms of infrastructure spending of any of the 20 football clubs in the um, in the football in the Premier League, which is, you know, which, which is another big problem, I think, for me, uh, because he hasn't seen the value of bigger things. But if he had football people involved in the football club and actually listened to them, he would do that. Um, he had that with Rafa, you know, um, 
And, you know, I know that this is going to be an unpopular sentiment. But he has that with Steve Bruce. And Steve Bruce is a football person. Whether Whatever you think about Steve Bruce, he's a football person. He recognised last summer, Steve Bruce, we're going to get relegated if you don't buy me a proper striker. And Ashley listened and Callum Wilson came on board. But why hasn't Ashley listened to the proper football people who've been involved in the past, who've told him how he needs to run his football club? That's the, that's the big that's the big um, uh, question for me. And it's the reason why we're here and we desperately want him to go. But yeah, it felt weird to hear him talk about dark forces when, you know, the people who've held Newcastle back have been bad decisions by Ashley, who, you know, could have done it so differently. He could have been, it could have been, what, what I, my philosophy, what I thought, you know, what I thought Newcastle should have been was, Mike Ashley should have come in and after a couple of years when Man City started to spend big, he should have turned everything around and said, right, I'm going to get a few, I'm going to get people in, in the boardroom and I'm going to sell my, I'm going to sell this to Newcastle fans as it's us against the world. Me, you, everybody, exactly what he's doing now with the takeover, by the way, it's us against the world. I need I need to squeeze every single thing I can get out of this football club. I'm going to get fan representation on the board. I'm going to get the right people involved. I'm going to get the right manager who um, you know has a connection with the fans. I'm going to you know I'm going to throw money at the academy. I'm going to do it these ways, and my communication is going to be effective from the start. My whole philosophy is going to be it's all of us against you. And if I make a mistake, I'm going to be holding my hands up. I'm going to get you in. Very much like Keegan did back in the day with you know on the steps. We all watched the entertainment documentary the other week. That is what he should have done. Why he didn't, I don't know. I think he got burned, he got the wrong people involved. He felt everybody was out to get him, and he just felt, oh, they don't they don't want me here, and I'm just gonna run it um exactly how I want. I'm not gonna explain it. You know, he got he annoyed the wrong people, didn't he? You know, he, he strung Alan Shearer along. Keegan was, you know, treated abominably maybe it's just not in his nature to do things that way i don't know um we've also heard from amanda staveley over the last couple of days she was speaking to an event held by bloomberg and you know the only line on the newcastle United takeover that she said was and i'll just quote her here she said firstly i am partly to a strict non-disclosure agreements so ndas so i cannot speak about newcastle United at this time so that was the only reference she made to the deal to want people not to ask questions about it. But the fact that she's still, I guess, you know, she needs to stick by those NDAs is a positive no. And just another kind of signal that she's still very much in fear of getting this deal over the line. Yeah, the NDA line always makes me laugh. I've been working on takeover stories for the best part of about eight years. And NDAs seem pretty flexible because um, she was surely subject to the same NDAs last summer when she gave three or four big interviews about the Newcastle United takeover. So, um, you know, but I think it made sense. It made total sense. I totally understood why she said that. Um, because what's the point in her talking about Newcastle United, the Newcastle United takeover right now, when she's got absolutely no control over what happens from now on? It's Mike Ashley, who is the man now who has the say, you know, it's him and it's the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, the NDA is still in place. She's the one who happened. Um, like you said, you know, I think was it um, th- two or three years ago? I think she she gave um, an interview where um, she was actually working on the Saudi Arabia deal. I think at the time, um, but her last attempt to take Newcastle United over had passed, and she did talk um, freely about Newcastle United and about wanting to take over a Premier League club. So it tells you a lot about the delicate situation that the takeover is in. Now, 
we're talking about communications, by the way, and the consortium and PCP Capital Partners, you know, they are like, I think they, it would be night and day with them. Look at the way that they've communicated in the last sort of, you know, they can't say anything about Newcastle United, but you've got Medud Gudossi tweeting. Um, and, you know, I know, yeah, you know, I saw something the other week where somebody he tweeted something and somebody said, oh, this will be the Chronicles story in um, in 20 minutes. And he sort of like did that monkey face palm emoji. And uh, I had to laugh because I thought, Mir, that, that is exactly what you want. It's exactly in the PCP Capital Consortium's interests for, for the stories to be there. You know, that's what that's what it's all about, isn't it? You know, him talking about the ESL on his Twitter, I thought was so smart. He didn't give much away. You know, Twitter is, you know, I know people sort of say it's lazy journalism to take things on Twitter. You've just had five years of a president of the, Amer of, of the United States of America tweeting, you know, like basically, you know, sorting out the agenda for the entire world. When he gets cut off, suddenly it doesn't happen anymore. Twitter is an incredibly important tool um, and it can be used, utilised in the right way. And I think what you're seeing from PTP Capital Partners is they're kind of keeping themselves relevant. Jamie Rubin's doing the same thing as well, keeping themselves relevant, keeping their name in the headlines in a way that they can do without threatening the deal. And I think they're very smart. And I think, you know, I give them, give them credit for that. If this deal doesn't happen, I think I'll say this, it's not for want of trying by them. It's not for want of some smart PR. Mm. Um, Ernie Rowe says he agrees that Stavely's silence is a positive on the deal. He just asks, is there any uh, kind of timescale on the arbitration? I mean, that seems to be the bit of the, the, the debate at the moment. When will this begin? When will it end? And when will we come to a, a definite conclusion? Because it's all confidential, we're at the stage now, I think, where we we don't, you know, we, we simply don't know. And I have to be honest on that one. Nobody knows, you know. I was in the impression that it would have been done by now, um, back when it was launched, given, you know, you know, you can't get anybody involved in this arbitration to give you a timeline. You can get people around the deal to estimate when they hope it might be done. Um, and I think, you know, what we've been told is the optimistic take is that it could be done in the summer. And summer probably starts in six weeks or so, doesn't it? And would probably end towards the start of next season. But that's an optimistic take by what from what we're hearing from people um, at the start of the season. So I think I know that Newcastle United's opinion on all of this is that we need to um, effectively get to business as usual during the close season. We'll make plans and, and what have you. So I, I think it's, you know, from what I've heard, the summer is when the arbitration will get underway. But, you know, it could be that, you know, we, we, we're, we're sort of arguing about things. You know, there could be arguing, there could be legal arguments that happen after that and before that as well. And we won't know because I think the first time we'll know about the arbitration is when it has an impact on, on where we go because it's, it's confidential. And that's by, um, that was a ruling that, um, that we found out about um, a few months ago, wasn't it? That we found out that was going to be confidential. So that's the big frustration at the moment. But I would say that I think, you know, I hate saying things like this because I can guarantee in three days' time it'll, we'll find out the arbitration's happened and the takeover's happened. Well, I can't guarantee that. That's the problem. Um, but arbitration is, you know, it, it's the key. It's the thing that's going to happen. The, the cat case is not a short term. They're not short term. The arbitration is the, the potential fix. Um, yeah, and that's the, that's the issue, isn't it? At the moment, we just don't know. 
just a final question on on the takeover then is there a worry that Mike Ashley has literally put his eggs in all in one basket anybody that has a potential interest in buying Newcastle has kind of been shoved away it's all about this Saudi takeover and if both lawsuits or the arbitration whatever you want to call them fail then we're back to square one we're stuck with Mike Ashley and he may have in the process you know miffed off a few potential buyers and they won't want to come back to the table. They've moved on somewhere else. I mean, it's a big gamble, isn't it, to, to, to be this confident that this is going to end with the Saudi PIF taking over Newcastle? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think there's a, there's a um, you know, for me, it, 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 I think it's the balance, isn't it, that Mike Ashley would say, well, I have cast my net out there. Um, I got some serious people who wanted to buy the club, but then it failed. Um, it failed in terms of Peter Kenyon. It failed in terms of GACP Capital Partners, I think, who who, you know, were a, a consortium that, that was serious about buying. And then you got BZG, who, in my opinion, weren't serious contenders. So he would say, I've I've done that. I've looked at it. And, you know, I think if anybody came in who, who blew them away, they would possibly they would possibly reassess. But I think anybody who's looking at the club at the moment, who's probably testing the water, there's not a lot of people out there who would who are as serious, I don't think, as the as the PIF at the moment. We're in a very strange economic climate at the moment. And there's a lot of people who want to buy football clubs, but there's not a lot of people who necessarily have the ready cash to go and do it. Now, you know, we've seen by how many how many times at Newcastle we've 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 had people express an interest or, you know, show an interest. I mean, you've spoken to a Mexican group who, you know, I think have re-emerged the day. They wanted to buy the football club. They talked about it. They spoke to Mike Ashley. It didn't happen. You know, why are, the, why are these things not happening? And, and Mike Ashley, I'll give him credit that he, you know, I think at times he probably has put some barriers up to, to people buying the football club. But he's identified the current consortium as the serious one, the, the most realistic one to buy it. And then and that's why he's sticking with it, because he's sort of saying, if I start granting exclusivity to another group who end up being like BZG, Piffle will walk away and they'll go and get another club. So he's taking that, I think he's taking, he's, the view that he's taking is, I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket with, with PIF because I believe that they are the right people to take Newcastle United forward. It's going to be a powerhouse moving forward, potentially. Um, and if I annoy them, if I, you know, if I, if I kind of let other clubs in, we're going to lose them. And that's what he's and that's what he's kind of thinking. And I think probably if you polled Newcastle United fans on whether you agreed with his strategy, I think the vast majority would say, yeah, you know, we'll put up with the short-term pain. And if it doesn't work out, which we, we tried, you know, I think you've, you've got a lot of Newcastle fans sort of feeling that way. A lot of Newcastle fans still think the Saudi bid is far and away the one that they want because they know that it's got financial strength and they know that the people involved in it. Um, Amanda Staveley, the Rubens um, want to transform the football club um, and, you know, and turn it into a different beast from what it is now. So, you know, I don't hear a lot of, you know, I, I obviously there are other people who are interested in the football club. I've had a few text messages back and forth with James Pollotto, who's the guy who used to own Roma, who obviously has the money to buy it. But, you know, you know, they're interested, but it doesn't doesn't seem to be getting any further ahead than that um we had the henry morris kind of sham in the summer as well where who knows what the hell that was about um just very strange but that's the problem isn't it you have 
people kind of putting their hands up all the time, but the only people that have ever got to the stage that uh, where it actually goes to owners and directors is the Saudi PAF. So it may be that we have another year and nothing happens at the end of it. Um, but I think that's obviously a risk that they're prepared to take. It could be worse. We could be Derby County. I mean, <laughs> they look well, like another takeover. Derby Michael. is a great example. Derby is a great example of why, in my opinion, and there's a piece to be written at the end of this, is of why the whole process needs to be totally and utterly reformed and possibly even regulated, because that looks like a mess. How have the Bin Zayed Group got close to buy or or into a position that they've got to with two football clubs? And it's ended up collapsing and they've never looked, ever looked, in my opinion, that that group have never looked likely to take over a football club. Yet they've had two huge clubs, very, you know, uh, basically at their behest. Very strange. The whole thing is very weird and I don't like it. I've got to be honest. I know it's been all we've talked about for how many ever years, but it, it's actually dull, very, very dull. And Wild West, to be perfectly honest. Well, I think Arsene Wenger said it last week when the whole rumour of the Spotify founder taking over Arsenal, and he said, look, the best takeovers are the ones where you don't hear anything about them until they've got the keys, and that's spot on for, for any club. Thank you for tuning in to the Everything is Black and White podcast. We'll get back to the show in just a moment. We just urge you guys to please subscribe to the podcast through whichever platform you use totally free to do just means every time we upload a new episode to our channel you'll get a notification saying we've done just that and you can listen to it straight away and if you get the chance to leave us a review as well that would be much appreciated that really does help us out you can also follow chronicle live's new cash night channels over on social media we're at chronicle nufc on twitter facebook and instagram and you can email us here at the show with your feedback, your comments, your questions, whatever. Just drop us a line at the EIBW podcast at reachplc.com. And you can also stick a date with everything to do with the club by subscribing to our daily Newcastle United newsletter. That's also free. And you'll get a morning news roundup, an evening news roundup, and a breaking news alert as well. And that'll get emailed directly to your inbox. The link for that is in the show notes. Hit that, scroll down to sport Newcastle United tick the box and you'll all be signed up once again thank you for listening and we'll now get back to the show um we'll move on mark to the leicester game great performance um, i feel we've got to start though with what happened on monday steve bruce going on to talk sport and in my view changing the narrative to what from what was a very positive one all weekend steve bruce rightly getting the plaudits for setting up spot on against a very good leicester side turning it around from that defeat at Brighton when things were looking really bad, effectively securing Newcastle's status, he then goes on national radio and, and utters the statement which no Newcastle United manager should ever do, and that is expectation. It's difficult to manage. And instantly, whether he's, when he, whether he's meant to do it or not, it's changed the narrative into a negative one. And instead of celebrating Newcastle's Premier League status being confirmed, that great performance... The focus isn't fully on the positives. It's now, you know, it's 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 taken a step back, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, the, for me, the frustration is it just entrenches everybody into the camps that they're in. You know, like I, I'm sure that um, obviously I haven't been to a game. You haven't been to a game. I, I've not been to a press conference for for over a year, so I don't know how Steve Bruce feels about things. 
I'm sure at the moment I'm not his favourite person. I'm sure there's a few people in the press pack who are his favourite people because we kind of said, we said four or five weeks ago, we thought, you know, his time was up. Um, but I feel that, like, he is entitled to say what he wants about Newcastle United. He's entitled to say it. Um, but for me, I just don't like, I just, I don't like the way it entrenches everybody in their camps. You know, I, I me, I, you know, I, I felt you should have gone six weeks ago, but I feel the last six weeks, and if what happened on Friday is an example of what we've got to come next season, great. Steve Steve Bruce is the man to take Newcastle forward if that happens. That was the one thing I always said about him. He hasn't shown any, he hadn't shown until about six, seven weeks ago, any sign that he was taking Newcastle United forward. Ironically, I think in the last six weeks, they have started to play better. They have started to show signs. Uh, and you kind of say, well, you know, if they play on Friday, I don't think I don't think there's many managers that would get this group. There's many managers that would get this group playing as well as that. Um, although, you know, I could argue are a whole load of managers who, who you know, could have got there a bit quicker and could replicate what, what, what happened on Friday. What I don't like is the idea that now you're either pro-Bruce or you're anti-Bruce and you know, the pundits are pro, you know, so the pundits who are pro-Bruce spin everything around to be positive. I mean, I saw after the Liverpool draw, uh, it was a BT final score where Robbie Savage was there and he kind of like, you know, it was a very much a like, well, will Newcastle fans give him credit now? And it's You're not there to stand up for Steve Bruce. That's not, as a pundit, you're not, it doesn't matter whether you're friends with him or not. You're meant to assess what you see in front of you. And that's my, as a reporter, I think that's what we're meant to do. And I was on Friday, I sort of said, wow, that was fantastic. And it was brilliant. And Steve Bruce deserved the plaudits. And they're now safe with three games to go, which you didn't think they would be six weeks ago. I think at the end of the season, I think you'd say more negative than positive, but they're finishing really, really well. So fantastic. I just hate the fact that the whole narrative is either you're either pro or anti. You know, it's the same with journalists. It seems to be you're either anti-Steve Bruce or you're pro-Steve Bruce. And for me, I'm not anti-Steve Bruce. I'm not pro-Steve Bruce. I'm, I'm pro looking at what's in front of you and taking a decision on what you see. And, you know, those quotes just sort of brought us all back. And, you know, he's... Uh, you know, I kind of say, well, he's entitled to say what he thinks and he's entitled because he's got pelters. So he's entitled to say what he thinks. And I've always said that if he wants to hit back at journalists, he can hit back at journalists. That's fine. But the problem is he must know and he must have realised that journalists don't, you know, it, no, it's not journalists, sorry, fans don't like to hear that they've got high expectations because they don't have high expectations at the moment. Their expectations is that, that Newcastle should play better, and so it was frustrating. Yeah, um, but you know, I, I I will stand up for him. He's allowed to say what he wants to say about Newcastle United, and when also yeah. allowed to say that I don't agree with what he said. And yeah. if we were adults about it, about the whole Steve thing, it would be great, you know, because it's not about it's not an anti, it's not a personal thing for me. It never ever has been, you know. I think he's always been, um, you know, he's always been uh, heart on his sleeve kind of guy. You know, a lot of people really love that in football. Um, I don't think I've ever really got close to Steve Bruce because I think he is quite, you know, he, he he's kind of old school in that you, if you're a journalist who he kind of likes, then, you know, you, it's, you've got to kind of put across what he thinks and all that. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of, you're either in there or you're not, I think, sometimes with, with some of those kind of managers, um, which is fine. You know, that that's how people operate. And look, when Rafa Benitez was here and, he, you know, he used to give us bits and pieces. 
you know, I, I can say I like Rafa Benitez, I like Chris Hewton, um, you know, I like certain managers and I'd like to think that, you know, really with the Bruce, it's all about assessing what you've seen in front of you and um, six weeks ago it wasn't good enough, now it's good. I just feel he don't, I don't, you know, I just feel he doesn't, he hasn't necessarily yet understood why Mike, the whole Mike Ashley Newcastle United is not liked and is not, you know, why anybody who who manages them is always going to get the accusations that he's got. And he was warned about that before he started. Alan Shearer told him. Um, so, you know, difficult. And I, and I don't like to see any it become toxic for anybody, um, you know, because he's done, he's done what he was kind of employed to do for the last couple of seasons. And um, yeah, it just, you can't talk about expectations. You can't talk no. about expectations. You just can't do it as Newcastle manager. No, I just think it's frustrating because we should be talking positively about what happened on Friday and going into Man City on a bounce. Yeah. You know, hopefully they'll have a bit of a hangover. Newcastle are, you know, mathematically secure now in the Premier League. And instead here we are talking about this and then Simon Jordan coming out and saying Newcastle and some supporters are mouthing little cowards. And it's all now, it's just it's just so necessary because it didn't need to happen. But, you know, mm. it has, we'll move on and just... Just, just focus on them positives from Leicester because okay, Callum Wilson is now out injured, unfortunately, um, which is which is a big blow. But you know the performance was was just brilliant. It was entertaining. It was a joy to watch, and Newcastle thoroughly deserved it. They were dominant, especially in that first half, even for you know most of the second half as well. It was just it was just brilliant to watch. And one of the, and Steve Bruce said it was one of the best performances he's seen since he's since he's been here. And uh, I agree with him on that. Probably one of the best performances of, of recent years, really. And, you know, like you said, Mark, if that's the platform going into next season, then, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was a really good performance. Um, you know, they, they um, I, think what, I think what you've seen is Newcastle have kind of, you know, with Graham Jones as the, as the assistant manager, they have changed subtly the way that, they, the way that they're playing. Um, what I think... You know what? What I think has worked is getting the best players back, and those players actually being in good condition, um, and 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 sort of, you know, playing the way that they um, playing the way that they did on on Friday was was it was, you know, it's about forty percent I would say tactics, and about sixty percent the players just you know belief is back, um, efforts back. They're all fit. That's the one thing that I think you've got. You could really say. They're not a half, you know, they're not a like kind of 40, 50, 60% fitness. They're all, those three players were were all fit and they caused Leicester so many problems. It was, it was fantastic to watch. And I think, you know, that is what this Newcastle team is capable of if they, um, if they put it together. I never felt that it was a relegation team. You know, I know some people have said that, that they're poor, but it's not, you know, it, it's actually quite an interesting team that, that's been put together. Um you know, they started. What was good as well about Friday was that they started off quite poorly. Actually, they, they, you know, first five minutes it was all Leicester, wasn't it? Leicester had, and then Newcastle slowly kind of got their way into the game. And I thought that was, you know, that was really, um, that was a real positive, as well. You know, um, great to watch Callum Wilson playing the way that he was. I think on that form, he's, you know, he's, so, he's been such a pleasure to watch this season. He's quick, strong, um, technique. You know, I mean, if he hadn't had the injuries, he'd, he'd have. Um, I think he would have been, a, he would have been a, a you know a regular at a top four club. He's that good. He really is that good. Um, and um, I've loved watching him play. Alan Maximum, great to watch as well. But I think he wasn't, he wasn't at his his number one, his, his best. 
Um, I think Joe Willick, I think, has come on in leaps and bounds since his loan spell. Um, you know, he, I think he's been good from the start, but he's, um, he's I think he looks really good, just causing all kinds of problems. Um, he was he was he was outstanding. Um, but just generally, I thought Newcastle were, were really good. You know, all the all the kind of like kind of supporting cast were really good as well. Jacob Murphy, um, I've been really pleased to watch his, you know his kind of improvement in the last few weeks as well. Um, and you know that 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 midfield, um, which I think has been unbalanced at times, John Joe Shelby played quite well as well, which was which was good to watch. Before I just ask you briefly about Man City, I guess Callum Wilson's injury maybe just re-emphasises the importance of Mike Ashley doing something, which maybe he doesn't want to this summer, and going out and getting someone who could step into the shoes of Callum Wilson. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not saying Callum Wilson will be injured next season, but you know he has missed. Well, by the time this season's over, he'll have missed 12 games through injury or thereabouts. He was rested for a couple, um, and but we know that the hole that's left when he's not available. You know, Newcastle do not score goals. And Mike Ashley really needs to go out in the summer and, and at least get someone who can fill in and at the same time can push Callum Wilson for that place in that starting eleven. Well, it's an intriguing one as well, isn't it? Because obviously you've got um, Dwight Gale, who looks like he's signed a new contract, can't get anywhere near the team at the moment. Um, and, you know, you've got Andy Carroll, who's potentially out of contract, probably will leave as well. So Newcastle have got work to do up front. You know, they're... Joe Linton's not the answer in terms of goal scoring, is he? I know he's had a bit of a better run of late, but he's clearly not anywhere near a threat that Callum Wilson is. So, yeah, they've got to go out and sign some players. I think probably that's one where the loan market might come in into play. I know they're looking at younger strikers as well to maybe play that backup role. Um, but, yeah, they, they desperately need somebody. And they need, they need a midfielder as well. But we, we hear there's not a lot of money available, and that's maybe one of the reasons why, Mike, why Steve Bruce is kind of Making overtures at the moment that he might not certainly stay, which is um, which is interesting. I mean, for me, I think he will. Um, I think it's unlikely that he'll walk away from the, the club, but um, we can, you, you know, you could you could see he does need a striker. He needs he needs more attacking reinforcements. Man City, then you know it's daunting task at the best of times. We hope that they'll have a bit of a hangover, you know, having won the, the Premier League. But we know the standards are Pep set, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a difficult game for for Newcastle, isn't it? Yeah, they got thrashed there last season, um, but at the same time of the season, um, they, they've not got a great record um, up there. Uh, you know, down there, sorry, they've they've played. I think the last time they won was that League Cup game, wasn't it? Where um, uh, they, you know, they've not done very well in the Premier League there, and 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 you know, not many teams have really because they are such a good such a good side that rolled over um, last season. Um, by them a few times, really. And I think I think you have to say that the Man City are overwhelming favourites. It's the hardest game in in, um, in in England at the moment. There's no doubt about it. But they, you know, they've got to go there with uh, with no fear. I think they've got to go there thinking that if they play like they did against Leicester, they could catch Man City on an off day and, and get something, you know. Um we've seen that actually ironically this week. I know Man City have kind of you know come out of their their little bit um Sorry, Man City have come out of their uh, their, their run. I'm sorry, I've just pointed out there it is at home. Um, I've lost track of the uh, the, the game. Oh, yeah, it wasn't one, doesn't it? <laughs> slightly better record at home, of course, as well. But um, yeah, I think they've. I think the problem that, that Newcastle would potentially have uh, with Man City is that they have started to come out of their bad run. They were in a bit of a you know, they were in a bit of a funk, weren't they, before then? But obviously, they won their Champions League game and um, have won the title. So you know, they're a very very good team. It's going to take a lot for them to to 
to win that game. But I think after that, Newcastle have got two winnable games, haven't they? They've got Sheffield United and Fulham. And uh, if they get those if they get those six points, they can finish on a bit of a high and then we can start talking about all the big issues that have, they've got to come up in the summer. Oh, certainly. And then it's Sheffield United at home with fans back in, which will be brilliant. And we'll, we'll finish on that positive note, Mark, because it's going to be really nice on Wednesday just to hear you know, some actual authentic chanting and cheering and hopefully Newcastle can get a couple of goals and a win as well. And, and you know, it's a step back to, to normality towards next season, hopefully, where we'll see 52,000 fans in the in the ground. Yeah, it was great to see the kind of the um, the excitement that Newcastle fans had at getting the, you know, getting being successful in the ballot. I thought that was that was terrific and um, told you a lot about, about, you know, how much people have missed it. I've missed it, you know, I haven't been to a match for over, you know, over a year now. I've really missed it. Um, and we won't be there on Wednesday either because the press press uh, uh, requirements are still the same. You know, they're still not still not allowing um, any more journalists here. And I think that's probably the right decision because safety safety is very important. And we've got to get we've got to get this right. We, I think nobody wants to see things go wrong at this stage. We've, we've done so well. You know, I'm I'm hoping that um, by the time that comes around, I might have had my uh, COVID vaccination as well, which will be another step on the, on the road to kind of, you know, to hopefully get normality. But, you know, I think we've all, we've all missed it and, you know, it's really needed. It adds another subplot as well. What's the reaction that we like to produce by those fans who are there? We'll sure be talking about that in the the game on Wednesday. Uh, But I think, you know, it's just going to be fantastic for for this team. And I think, you know, some of these players won't have played in front of St. James Park before and it'll be great to hear it because, I've got to be honest, this version of football, you know, get it in the bin. I'm not a fan one bit. I've hated this season, not liked it one bit. Um, just don't want, I don't want ever to hear behind closed doors football again. I mean, if you ever watch it without the fake crowd noise, it's so flat, it's horrible. And um, it's not football. And I don't think it's sustainable long term. Um, so, you know, we've got to hope that football gets, we get fans back in the grounds again as soon as possible. Um, and, you know, after Wednesday, we can look forward to the European Championships and then hopefully next season with full crowds again and um, and the game we know and love and get it back to where it, it should be because it's just not a sport um, without fans there. No, 100%. The light, though, is at the end of the tunnel. Well, Mark, thanks for popping on to the Everything's Black and White podcast. You guys watching and listening, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep up with all the latest Newcastle United news.